0: Welcome. It's good to have you guys visiting. Um, we have some some guests that are touring, and they they've made time to to come and worship the Lord. So that's always a that's always an encouragement. It's great to have you guys with us. I told Karen not to pinch the babies. But anyway, so he was chosen by God. He was a self-confessed lover of God. He was a true follower of God. He was zealous for God and for God's house. He passionately worshipped God. He had a courageous faith in God. He did mighty deeds for God. He was a beloved leader of God's people. He was used of God to write Scripture. He's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. He is an adulterer. And He is a murderer. Does that shock you? Does it leave you scratching your head? Does it seem unbelievable to you? If so, you might not yet fully know yourself as well as you think, and you might not yet know the power of sin resident within each one of us. The fallen sin nature that we still deal with, as the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans Chapter 7, that war that rages in our members. I'll never forget, um, as an old guy in seminary, I didn't go to seminary till I was 42, but I had a mentor there, and he was well into his 50s, and I'll never forget one thing he said to me ever. I was shocked, and he said to me, Jim, after all these years of ministry, faithful ministry, I know I could fall. And I was shocked to hear this man say this. I mean, I I held him probably higher than one man should hold another. He had taught me so much. And here he was telling me that he knew that he could fall in a serious way, a flagrant way, a gross way. And the reason he knew that is because he saw his father do it. His father was a pastor all of his life. He'd been in the ministry for decades. And he ultimately took the secretary and left town. The secretary of the church. I heard his father talk about this. And this is not just a lesson for people in ministry. This is a lesson for everyone who professes to be a Christian. You know, as the old Puritan says, sin, you know, gross and flagrant sin, it does not leap upon you. It creeps upon you. It's one rationalization at a time. And I heard this man's father talk about how he'd really kind of left off the daily disciplines that a Christian should engage in. Um, he'd stopped writing new sermons. Uh, he thought he could get away with a little bit of playful flirtation. He thought he could do it. He thought he could run on, you know, prior glories in, in the ministry. He thought he was exempt from flagrant sin. So he played with it, and ultimately he fell. It's the best lesson any minister, and I will say also any born-again Christian can learn. Beloved, we need to understand the power of sin that is still resident within us. As I said, flagrant sin is a small rationalization and another harmless indulgence. It's just down the road. Flagrant sin is just a pathway. And it's a lot of little steps that gets us there. I'm sure David never suspected he would ever be guilty of something quite so heinous as adultery. And certainly not murder. Not in his wildest imaginations did he ever believe such a thing could come, up in, could come upon him, could get into his life. It's not wise to think like that because then you won't fear and respect the power of sin that is resident within each one of us even as born again Christians again I refer you back to Romans chapter 7 Last week we saw in Psalm 1 one of the primary weapons that God gives us in our in our fight against the aberrant inclinations that our fallen flesh is drawn to. Anybody remember what it is? It's delighting in the Word of God. It's delighting in the Word of God. Listen, beloved. If you're not eating meat, which is the Word of God, if you're not eating spiritual meat, the Word of God, you are weak. You're in no condition to do battle with your own temptations you got to be looking at God. Amen? you got to be looking at God. If you're not looking at God, you're going to be looking around. If you're not listening to God, you're going to be listening to yourself. And you can make a thousand excuses in your own heart and in your own mind. Amen? Beloved, you got to be in the Word. We talked about it a lot last week, so I won't belabor the point. If we are listening to the world, or even merely listening to our own thoughts, we are easy spiritual pray. If that's your constant diet on a daily basis, you are easy spiritual prey. But if you are looking at God and you are in the Word of God and you are having your prayer time with God and you're sitting under the preached Word of God, and you're serving the church and you're loving the body. If you're so busy, you know, ministering in the body of Christ, <laughs> you simply won't have time, <laughs> you won't have time to indulge in the things that often gets many in trouble. Obviously, David had left off his spiritual disciplines at some point, along the way, a rationalization here. Harmless glance there. An indulged thought here. An innocuous inquiry there. Next thing David knows, he's in bed with a married woman. Next thing he knows, he's killed her husband. Beloved, if you don't hear me say anything else, I know you know this, sin will always take you further than you want to go. I'm going to say it again so you never forget. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. And it will always cost more than you're willing to pay. You can write it down. David would have never believed it could happen to him. The best definition of sin I've ever heard is from, you know who it's from, But for those of you who are visiting, it's from John Piper. Uh, My wife says I quote him too much. but um, She's very wise, and I I take her counsel uh, seriously. But but, but Piper says, Sin is the suicidal exchange of the infinite value and beauty of God for some temporal, inferior, sugar-coated substitute. This is a great insult to God. Amen? Do you understand your sin this way? It is an insult to God. A direct insult to God. It's not an indirect insult. Yes, David, you know, hurt Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah. He did wrong, uh, you know, really to his family and the whole nation. But he sinned against God. You remember when Nathan came to David and confronted him? You remember what God said through Nathan? God said, why have you despised me? Beloved, it's oxymoronic to talk about innocent sin. All sin is a declaration of independence from God. All sin belittles the greatness and the glory of God. Ultimately, in that moment, David wanted Bathsheba more than he wanted God. He thought Bathsheba would bring him more pleasure than God would bring him. He exchanged intimacy with God for intimacy with this married woman. And you know the story. David was looking where he shouldn't be looking. He was looking at another man's wife and he was seeing what he shouldn't see. He was seeing a a beautiful woman bathing and he made an inquiry and he took Bathsheba. And he lay, as the Scripture says, with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba sent word later that she was pregnant. And so David brings Uriah home from the battle. And he wants Uriah obviously to go into Bathsheba. But Uriah is a man of such outstanding character, he will not go to his home, he will not go into his wife, because his comrades are still at war. He's, yeah, and the next thing, David tries to get Uriah... Well, he gets Uriah drunk, thinking that Uriah will surely go to his home and be with his wife, but he wouldn't do it. So David's solution was he would have Uriah put at the very front of the battle and he would have others withdraw and Uriah would certainly be killed, which, of course, he was. Did I say sin will take you further than you want to go? I said that right, okay. And you know, God sends Nathan to the king. Can you think? Can you? Would you want to be a prophet going to the king? (laughs) You know, this took some courage on Nathan's part. But Nathan, Nathan tells David a story about a rich man who had many flocks who stole the one ewe lamb from his neighbor to feed his friends, and David was outraged. Surely this man is worthy of death. And Nathan said what? You are the man. You are the man. David knew it. And David was broken in confession. He was broken. And Nathan tells David, unbelievably, and this is how it is for all True believers. It's still unbelievable. It's still extraordinary. In some ways, it's still outrageous. And it was in the song. It's a scandal. Nathan says, God has removed your sin from you. Now, David obviously is looking toward Jesus Christ even as we look back to Jesus Christ. David is trusting in the finished work of Messiah. And this is how God can justify David. In this gross and flagrant sin through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And God says, Why have you despised my word? Let me ask you, are you despising God's word in any area of your life? Do you know it's a sin against God? Do you know it is an insult to God? Do you know that's how serious sin is? Do you know? You know, in some places in what is called the modern church, there's such there's this superficial view of sin, like, well, I can sin sort of with impunity because I have grace. Listen, if that's your attitude, I have to say to you, in all love, I have to say, you don't know anything about the biblical gospel. If you can think like that, you have you you have never met Jesus Christ. Born-again believers don't think like that. We just simply don't think like that. So this is the backdrop of Psalm 51. It's a psalm that every Christian understands. I think it's a psalm that every Christian rejoices is in the Bible. A man like David... I read his resume, his spiritual resume to you at the outset. A man like David could fall like this. I know it could happen to me too. If I leave off the disciplines, if I get spiritually lazy, I've seen it happen more than once in the ministry, and certainly many times in the laity. What did Peter say? Satan is like a a lion a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So this is the backdrop. It is the urgent, desperate, heartfelt, gut-riching, guilt-ridden confession of sin that every true Christian understands. Piper says it perfectly. Don't tell Karen. This is twice now. I I think I'm done, but don't tell Karen. John Piper says, this is how the the Christian is crushed well by his shame and his guilt before God. David's going to show us how to be crushed well. What it looks like to truly repent of sin. There is deep sorrow and remorse and regret and repentance. But what I want to say to you at the beginning, I want you, you already know this. Three times David begins to talk about joy. The word joy is in the psalm three times. When, you know, when the Christian comes into confession, yes, there's great sorrow and, 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 and remorse. Of course there is. But there's always this undercurrent of joy. My God is a Savior! And my God's finished work is enough! Yes, it's outrageous. Yes, it's a scandal. But His blood covers my sin. Amen? Even in the deep throes of confession, the joy begins to... You know, we catch a, we catch a whiff of the joy that comes from the pardon that we receive in... Christ Jesus, did you notice how David starts here i won 't read the the text uh, ver- uh, word by word we 've already read through it, but did you notice here be gracious to me according to your loving kindness and, and, and to the greatness of your compassion, wash or blot out my transgressions. What is David appealing to from the outset? is David here as c s Lewis says c s Lewis talks about uh, confession of of many Christians, he says, instead of of, uh, true confession, it's more like, you know, and asking for forgiveness, it's more like making excuses. David's not making any excuses here. What's the first thing David says? David appeals to who God is. Amen? He appeals to who God is. He's worshiping God. So, what I want you to always remember true confession begins with worshiping God, it's appealing to the kindness and the compassion and the mercy and the long suffering and the grace of God. And this is where David begins. He begins his appeal with who God is. True biblical confession begins with worship. And David's not coming through some Priestly mediation. He's not coming through some religious formula. He's, he's not trusting in the propriety or self-righteousness of his prayer. He's simply worshiping God and asking God to wash him. Because only God can wash him of this flagrant sin. Only God can do it. No priest can do it. Only God can do it. And David knows that. And he comes worshiping the Lord. It made me think of Isaiah forty-five, twenty-one, twenty-two. 22. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. God says, there's no God like me. I am a Savior. Amen? I think that's why we're here in this little redeemed garage. Because each one of us here, I pray, has experienced the fact that our God is a Savior. David knows this and he's appealing to God. God is a gracious Savior. Verses 3 and 4. David says, I know my transgressions, my sin uh, is ever before me. It was only It's just you that I've sinned against and done what is evil. So that you are justified and, and blameless in your judgments. Verses 3 and 4. God is gracious in how He designed us. He gave us a conscience. I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Just as the Bible makes it clear, there's no such thing as an atheist. There's no such thing as a human being who's not aware of his sin. God has built it in... There's an alarm that goes off in us. Amen? When we sin, when we consciously sin against God, we know it. No one has to tell us about it. We actually know it. I'm not saying that men don't sear that... that, uh, pardon me, that men don't sear their consciences, but they still know. There's a moral law, C.S. Lewis talks about, there's a moral law written on the heart of man. And we know when we sin, Against it. David said, My sin is ever before me. And I couldn't help but think of the woman that I, I used as an illustration back in February when we talked about abortion. And I, I, I told you about all the research I had done, and I'd watched so many testimonies on YouTube. And I, I saw the woman who, on the, 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 the evening that she slept, 30 years from her abortion, the, on the 30th anniversary, anniversary of her abortion, she woke up in a cold sweat. And only Jesus Christ can cover sin. Obviously, she needs Jesus Christ. David says, my sin is before me. It's playing on this loop. It's before me. It's before me. It's before me. But God can take it away. You guys know Over in Psalm 31, David talks a little bit more about this. He gets a little more descriptive about the corrosive effect of sin. He says, my eye, my soul, my body waste away from my grief because of my iniquity. Some of you know what he's talking about. Most of us, probably if not all of us, know exactly what he's talking about. That sin that we're entertaining or that sin that we've engaged in and we have not come clean with God. David says, it's it's ever before me. <coughs> David knows that his lust for Bathsheba, his adultery and his murder of Uriah, as I mentioned earlier, it is against God. If you go to the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson uses the word violated. David not only violated the Word of God, he violated God. Listen, beloved, we need to think about our sin like this. This is how the Bible talks about sin. When we consciously sin, we're not just simply violating the law of God. We're violating God. It's an insult to God. It's a a backhanded slap in the face to God. I don't care what you say! I'll do what I want. That's what got us into this mess. That's what happened in the garden. And that's why the world is in the condition that it is in. David had violated his Creator in his sin. So I just want to make an application here. If you think lightly about your sin, you're simply not thinking biblically about it. And I want you to notice something in this psalm. David is not just seeking forgiveness. <laughs> we're going to see it. David is, not, David is not simply after forgiveness. He's after a change. There's that great line in that movie, uh, uh, Amazing Grace. You guys have seen this, right, about William Wilberforce. And he's talking to, I think it's William Pitt. And William Pitt says, Man, we're too young to know that we can't change England. We can change England. He says, don't you want to change England? You remember what he said? I've said this to you before. I love this line. He said, i changed change myself first. Amen? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you change yourself first? God, change me. This is what David is after. You, you look at it. This is what he, he's not simply after forgiveness. He's after renewal. He's after, yeah, renewal's probably... The best word, and David says he vindicates God. He says, "Whatever you do, your judgments are blameless. If you damn me, you're blameless." This is what God. This is what David is saying. He's vindicating God. He's not trying to vindicate himself. He's not making excuses. And verse five. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Of course, you guys, if you know your Bible, you realize that that is a a reference to original sin. He's not making an allegation against his mother that he was conceived illegitimately. He's talking about his inherited, fallen, sinful, depraved nature. David didn't say, well, God made me this way. He says, I am this way. You know, I've heard a a renowned atheist. I won't name him. But he goes off on original sin. He hates the doctrine of original sin. He hates it. Okay, you hate the doctrine of original sin. I get that. But my question to to those that I talk to about it is, okay, well, let's just put that over here. Let me ask you, have you ever sinned? It's a moot point! Ultimately... Biblically and theologically, we understand the doctrine of original sin. But my point is, for you in your circumstance, if you've ever sinned—and everyone has—you don't need to get jazzed up about, <laughs> you know, the, the doctrine of original sin. God says it's true; we all fell in Adam. Does that does that insult you? Does that offend you? Well, let me ask you this: Have you ever sinned? Listen, any man that looks, any man or woman that can look in th- into the mirror, they know who they are. They know what they've done. We are sinners, beloved. We are not sinners because we sin. we sin because we are sinners, and David knows that about him, verse six and seven, behold the desire you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part. Uh, you will make me know wisdom. He goes on, purify me, wash me, make me hear joy and gladness. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. God desires truth in our inmost being. To me, this is an illusion of regeneration. It's an illusion to being born again. Right? Because we know what the Bible says about the unregenerate human heart. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it as the prophet Jeremiah says? And we know the litany of sins that Jesus talks about flow from the human heart. David says in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. It's what God does in the hearts of His people. He does that heart transplant. He takes out that heart of stone and He puts in that heart of flesh. And our heart begins to beat God gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth. It's a miracle that God does. David's talking about that inside out thing. This is what true Christianity is. It's always, it's always uh, inside out. You know, religion is simply outside in, you know, a little paint on the outside. I'll try to, you know, look good at church on Sunday, and I'll I'll try to act moral in, in the world. That's not Christian, that's not true Christianity. True Christianity is inside out. I want to honor God in the way I love my spouse, the way I raise my kids, the way I do my job, the way I surf the internet. I want to honor God. That's what I want. This is what David wants. You can hear it. You can hear it in his words. David says, God, You must purify me. You must wash me. I can't do this myself. No religion can do this. You must do it, Lord. And make me hear joy and gladness. I was just going to share with you really quick. Um, I love the, the, all the imagery that God uses here as He talks about how He will take our sin away. Isaiah 1.18 Though your sin is as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Isaiah 38, 17. For God has cast all our sins, I love this, behind His back. Isaiah 43, 25. God says, I will wipe out your transgressions and I will remember them no more. Micah 7, 19. I will tread your iniquities under my feet and cast them into the depths of the sea. Jeremiah 31, 34. I will remember their sin no more. And you know the famous one. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, I have removed your sin from you. Amen. Our God's a Savior. (laughs) He does awesome, he does scandalous things, outrageous things. He saves his people from their sin through the sacrifice of his son. (coughs) The world doesn't get it, the world mocks it. Every world religion makes fun of it. But our groom has come for us. Amen? <laughs> our groom has come for us and he's laid his life down for us. In verses 10-13, through David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Again, we're talking about this... this being sanctified by the Spirit of God. He says, don't cast me away from Your presence and don't take Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and sustain with me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors and sinners. I was looking at the message again. Eugene Peterson does a great job here. He says, he paraphrases this verse, shape a Genesis week in the, from the chaos of my life. I love that. When, verse 10, Create in me something new! Change me! That's why I challenge you when you come in here. Don't you want to be changed? Or are you just checking your box? You know, is this just your religious habit? Or do you come in here expecting to meet Christ Jesus, to hear Christ Jesus, and to be changed by the power of the Spirit of Christ Jesus? I want it! I pray that you wanted as well. I pray that's why you're here. I pray that's why you've gathered here. David talks about this steadfast spirit. He says, I, I looked it up. I looked it looked up in the, in the lexicon. It means to be unwavering, to be resolute, to, per, to be persistent, to be dedicated, loyal, faithful, devoted. Isn't that how you want to be? In your walk with God? To have that kind of spirit... Verse 11, it may be confusing to some. We understand biblically that David's not talking about losing his salvation because of his sin with Bathsheba. We know this because the Bible simply does not teach that possibility. I know there's some false teaching about this in some areas, but... The Bible simply doesn't teach that a man once born again can be unborn again. The Bible simply does not teach that. This is not what David's talking about. In my view, David's talking about not being cast away uh, from salvation, but being cast aside in in his position as king, and the special anointing he has as king being taken away from him. In my view, this is what is being said here in the Old Testament. Most of you know the Holy Spirit came upon men for a specific function. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells the true believer. So there is a distinction there that we need to to understand. And I think there could be another aspect here. I think David may genuinely be examining his heart, as Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. You know, Paul said, examine yourself, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. And it's very possible that David is examining his heart And he's seeking to make, as Peter says, make your election sure. Amen? And I think he's going through this process, right? He's going through this process. Oh God, hold me! I want to be Yours! Hold me! I think it's a valid prayer. I think it's a valid prayer. David says, I don't want to drift anymore! Help me, God! Look what I've done! Keep me back from... This arrogant and haughty sin. And again, let me just refer to as Peter. Pe- David is simply doing what Peter says. Second Peter 1.10 he says, "Brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and your choosing." His choosing of you. Again, it's it, it's the evidences we see in the life. Amen. So verse 12, David says, God, I want the joy of Your salvation. Listen, did you notice there's not one mention of sex in here? He never brings up sex. Well, you say, Jim, it started with sex. It's all about sex. No, it's not about sex. Sex is a symptom. The problem is David is not delighting in the Lord. That's the problem. Sex is a symptom of the disease. You've got a besetting sin in your life? It's a symptom that you are not delighting in God as you ought. You are not lusting for God as you ought. There's nothing wrong with lust. It's just what are you lusting for? You're supposed to be lusting for God, beloved. That's what you're built for. That's certainly what you're redeemed for, to lust for God preeminently. Of course, we have subordinate desires that He has afforded us uh, in legitimate contexts. This adultery it 's a symptom that he has not delighted in God. Let me ask you, do you delight in God above all else? An important question. And David is not content with forgiveness and being clean and having uh, his assurance or having a, a right spirit or being joyful in God. Did you see what he says? It's not just about that. It's about that he could be a teacher. He could be an evangelist. He could convert sinners. Do you see it? He, he he doesn't want holiness just because it would be good to be holy. He wants to be a teacher. He wants to share the gospel. This is what all biblical born-again believers do. They're out there sharing the gospel. You know, if you're not sharing the Gospel, I have to ask you, what kind of disciple do you call yourself? There's only one kind in the New Testament. Jesus says, follow Me. And Jesus says, go and tell. It's the only reason you're still walking on His planet and breathing His air and eating His food. is because you've made a covenant with Him to be His and to share His truth that many might come to know Him and be saved through him, 14 and 15. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. David, of course, is referring to the fact that he's guilty of, uh, of capital offense, both uh, adultery and murder. Deliver me from this blood guiltiness, he says. And he mentions joy again. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of Your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare Your praise. It's the third time joy has been mentioned. It's where real confession takes us, because in Christ Jesus we know we have forgiveness. We're not guessing, we're not hoping, we're not postulating. We know we have it, and so the joy is bleeding into this, into this <laughs> into this prayer. It's the you know it's what I've been saying to you. It's the anticipation of joy, amen. The anticipation of what God's going to do. I, I, this, this word has really entered my spiritual lexicon lately. You know? Listen, man, you're supposed to be anticipating what God's going to do in your life. Anticipating how God's going to use you, in your, you know, in your circumstance. It's important, beloved, that we think like that. In 16 and 17, you guys know this famous verses. Lord, you don't delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it and you are not pleased with burnt offerings. What is it that pleases God? It's this. It's Psalm 51. That's what pleases God. A broken and contrite spirit before God. That's that's true worship. That's the kind of worship that pleases the Lord. Isn't it true? Isn't this... You know, I love how again I'm going to appeal to I'm going to mention Peterson's paraphrase. He says, he says, in this place, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Amen. Don't don't every every Christian in here, every born again Christian in here knows what that means. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. When I knew I, you know, when the jig was up, when the pretense was up. when the the mask had been removed, when the facade was gone, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I thought I was Mr. Super-Duper religious man. I'm a sinner. I need God's grace every nanosecond of every day. i got to have it. This is our understanding, I think, as Bible believers. So let me just say this. God has not thoroughly taught us Pardon me. God has thoroughly taught us the breathtaking majesty, beauty, and absolute sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus through our broken-hearted confession and repentance. Amen. I know that's true for me. It's through our brokenness, humility, sorrow, and repentance from sin that we have come to see, know, love, and worship Him the best. So David shows us what confession looks like. This is the sacrifice that's pleasing to God. And I want to make sure you understand, you need Psalm 51. If you're operating under any delusions that you don't desperately need Psalm 51, then I hope to crush those delusions here tonight. You must have Psalm 51. I must have Psalm 51. Only the prideful and the arrogant and the presumptuous don't think they need Psalm 51. David didn't need Psalm 51 until he did, and then it spilled out of his pen. And yes, uh, the temporal consequences of David's sin were weighty. The temporal consequences of our sin—it remains. There are consequences. But the beautiful truth of the Gospel is that the eternal consequences are removed through the finished work of Christ Jesus. I will not receive my wages. What are the wages of sin? Someone tell me. Death. I will not receive my wages. I've earned my wages. But I will not receive them. So I'm thankful for Psalm 51. I'm thankful it's in the Bible. Every man who knows he's a sinner, he is thankful for Psalm 51. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, let me just read 1 John 1:8 through 2:2. You guys know the great verse. The Holy Spirit says through John If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins we have an Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Amen. Praise God. One, that He's a Savior. And I praise God that He hears the the confessions of penitent men. I praise God that He has the power to wash us clean. I praise God for the selfless and sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. What a great text to come to the table on. Amen? We're going to uh, partake of communion tonight. And uh, we have open communion here. All who have professed faith in Jesus Christ and have followed Him in believers' baptism, you are welcome to partake Uh, with us. The way we do this is uh, Baratio will come and and play a song three or four or five minutes. Uh, I want you to be praying and uh, preparing your hearts to come to the table. We know what Paul told the Corinthians not to come to the table in an unworthy manner. This is not some brain dead, heart dead ritual that we do. You know, We come to the table to remember as Jesus said, to remember Him. To remember how awesome our salvation is. If you're hanging on to a sin that you don't want to let go of, don't come to the table. But if you want to come and celebrate who He is and what He's done uh, in light of what we just talked about, come. You're welcome. Come and partake. So, as Orazio plays, prepare your heart and at the appropriate time, whenever that is, during the music, come, take the bread, take the cup, go back to your seat and after the music ends, I will then read a text and then we will partake of the elements at that time. Amen.